Um, I wanted to, I'm sure, I mean, Sister, right, she prayed for, um, Chris prayed for John Paul, and I wanted to, is there any new updates? I have some that Christy had given me from, um, from Susan, the gallbladder was removed. Did you want to give us an update of anything, Janice? Okay. Um, the last text that she got from Susan said 24 hours they're looking to have him go back home. Is that still, are they waiting or is he back home or? Okay. Well, we're going to continue to have John Paul and his family in prayer and hold each other and the Lord, we belong to him. Right? He holds us. Eddie, he's not here with us today. Keep him in prayer. He'll be here next Sunday. Um, but he, he's doing okay. He's just, today he didn't come. He texted me yesterday, said he wouldn't be able to make it today. But as far as I know, everything health-wise is okay with him. Amen. I'm going to ask the church to please stand. Open with me to 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 10. First Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to be reading just one verse, verse 16. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. Paul writes and he says, "The cup of blessing that we bless." Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the scripture that is before us. We thank you for the remembrance that you give to us in Christ. Holy Spirit, lay it upon our hearts. Let us not forget it. We pray this in Jesus Christ alone. Amen. You may be seated. And keep your Bibles open. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I'm actually going to read the beginning of the chapter and, um, as we keep this in mind. Listen to what Paul says. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate of the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. The rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as example for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. 
God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with that, with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifice of idols, are not those that eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? The food offered to pagan sacrifice they offer to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? It's amazing um, when we gather to partake of the bread right, and, and drink of the cup. This is a service that when we come to, we come already with our mindset to do remembrance. And we know anytime, if you, if you go to church long enough, you know the text that's read, read right? 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We know that we're remembering the words of Christ. Every time that you eat of this bread and you drink of this cup, you do this in remembrance of me. So it becomes very easy to, this service that we separate as the service that we have communion, that we're going to come together to remember. But in all technicality, in all purposes and events, when we come together to worship the Lord, every Sunday, that's what we're doing. We're remembering what God has done. We're seeing what God is doing in the lives of each other, and we're remembering we're supposed to come here. This isn't a time that we're supposed to set aside for what makes it feel good to us, but this is a time that we're setting aside to say, Lord, we will remember what you have to say to us. We will remember what you have said. We will remember what you have done. We will listen to what you're saying. We will worship you for who you are. We will trust in what you have already accomplished and done. We, we shouldn't lose sight of that. Today, we're living in a time, right, that there's not much appreciation for the past. Right, people? Either, there, there's two ways, really, right? Either you are those types of people that live in the past, and the only time that was good was the past, and you never do anything of any meaning in the present. Or, with the modern age, the future is always better. The past is just old ancient, who cares? And in truth, the past is a place that we are powerless. We can't do anything about the past. But the very nature, the very call of Christians, the very call of the Christian is to remember. We are to constantly be reminded. We have the, the pages of the Bible. We have these 66 books, right? We, the Old Testament is telling us an ancient history that we're so distant from that most of us even lack a way of understanding of what is actually taking place. But then we have the New Testament, which is revealing to us what that was. But this is a, a time that is it's gone for us. It's distant. But yet here in Corinthians, Paul is dealing with the same thing. He begins chapter 10 by saying, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers. 
Notice, I mean, this is the lines where we said the cup of blessing that we bless is not a participation in the blood of Christ. But before he's initiating with that thought, he's, he's bringing them back. Look, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into... He begins to recount over and over again. There is um, a section that I wanted to read, which I thought was fitting. It's a bit of a, a long section, but I just want you to see, this is found in Nehemiah, chapter 9, verse 6. If you want to open, you may. If not, just listen. This is Nehemiah, chapter 9, beginning on verse 6. Listen to the, the recounting, the remembrance. Verse 6 begins by saying, You are the Lord, you alone. There's no other God. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. One of the parts of remembrance, if you go in the Old Testament, you always see every time in the New Testament too, whenever they're speaking about salvation, they go back to Abram. This was the moment in history that the salvation of the Lord initiated. Like this is, God began to only, this is the plan. He calls Abram out and from him, in his, right, that comes the promise. And there, the unleashing, let's say, of the promise of the salvation of God upon history. And here, the Old Testament is recounting that again, going back. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans. So there's all this bringing out. Paul here is reminding us. The cup of blessing that we bless is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? By faith, we are participating in Christ. And Paul ends this section by saying, look, you can't participate of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. And there's a language that our modern world has completely forgot. Demons. Who, who believes in demons today? Oh, it's something very real. And very true that the Bible speaks to you and we see our Lord having authority over. And we see Jesus in the flesh coming and ruling, being the tormentor of demons, casting demons out. Uh, demons are very real. It's not a metaphor. And our Lord has had victory over that. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out, separated him of the Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. So again, the recounting. God has kept his promise, for he is righteous. Here in this text in 1 Corinthians, there is a, 
a portion of that everybody knows, right? No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common unto man. God is faithful and he will not let you to be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That, what Paul is saying, is resting in the assurance that God is faithful to provide the way of escape. God is faithful to keep his promise. The question we ask is, Am I faithful to lay hold of that escape that God has provided for me? God is faithful. We need not wrestle with that. The history of the Bible tells us of his faithfulness, not our daily experiences that might point to when we look back to a time where we see God literally moving and working in our lives. But by faith, we lay hold of the scriptures and we lay hold of what he has said. And here, And Nehemiah is reminding us, you have kept your promise. You are righteous. We're seeing that in the person of Jesus Christ. He has kept his promise, for he is righteous. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers, and you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them, so that they went through the midst of the sea and dry land, and you cast their pursuers into depths and stone as a stone in mighty waters. You see, Paul is, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food. You're seeing this is part of the very history of Israel, but also part of the history of the church. We're to recount the salvation of God. How he has redeemed us, how he has taken us out of the world. Here he's remembering how that Israel was taken out and that God divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea as dry land and you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone and mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud you led them in the day and by a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. This constant provision of God. It's a miracle, it's a wonder, a cloud, a fire. You know, it's, it's almost like today we, we lack, maybe, well, we don't lack these things. Because we don't have the same, we don't see, we don't, we don't realize the reality of the broken body of Christ. The shed blood. The importance of baptism. Although we're not saved by the waters of baptism, baptism is a real thing that we do. It's a real movement that we do. And here they're remembering all of this. You Look what he says on verse 13. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them the right rules and true laws and good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses your servant. And you gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in and possess the land that you sworn to give them. But they, verse 16 tells us, but they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffed their neck and did not obey your commandments. 
You see this continual motion. God doing, God providing, the people turning. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffed their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. This constant return of the one redeemed to the tendency of what they were redeemed from. But you are God, ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them. The word steadfast love in the ESV, it's the word chesed in the Hebrew. And this binds again that definition, that biblical definition of love, that it is an act of the will, not fueled by emotions, right? It can be accompanied by, but not fueled by it. And it's for the betterment of the object of the one being loved. This word chesed is mentioned roughly about 170 times in the Old Testament. 120 times of it is in the Psalms. And that's that love of God towards his people. That covenant love, that faithful love of him towards us. And here, the people, God provided for them. God did for them. God redeemed them, rescued them, cloud by day, fire by night. The parting of waters. The, the sustainment, right? The, the bread coming down from heaven. The water that flowed from the rock that Paul says that was Jesus. Remember on verse 4. And they all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. So here's the New Testament interpreting the Old Testament. That rock that followed them, that was Christ. That was pointing to Christ. That was showing Christ. And now here we are, embraced in Christ. And we need to be on our guard. Because we can't think that we're above what they were. And this God, the Bible tells us, you are ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to and abounding in steadfast love. Abounding in this love that is solely dependent on Him, fueled by Him, steadied by Him. Just given over, poured out unto us. Even when they had made from themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt. I just want you to see the depth of sin. God redeemed them and rescued them out of Egypt. And these people, they gave themselves over to sin to the extent, and very quickly, this wasn't, it was very quickly, to the point that they made an idol, they made a God, and they said, this is the God that redeemed us. This is the God. Look what they said. This is your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. We do the same thing till this day. By the grace of God, we are called. By the grace of God, we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and our hearts are open. In the fullness of His grace, He begins to, to mold us and shape us, to cleanse us, to put things right. And all of a sudden we begin to think, well, no, this is just because I'm in a, in a better group of people now. I'm hanging out with some better people. Because, you know, when our kids do wrong, it's never our kids. It's always their friends. Right? Because, you know, our kids are perfect. 
but you know, the other people's kids, they're not. It's always the environment. We blame the environment. It's not us. It's the environment. If we all just had the same upbringing, the all same, you know, the Bible reveals to us that's not the environment. Right? Adam and Eve were created and put in a perfect environment, and God said it was very good. The environment was very good. And what does the Bible show us? That in that perfect environment, with everything provided, communion with God, fellowship with God, guidance by God, wisdom by God, ability to do everything provided, yet rebellion. And here we're seeing that we're doing this remembrance. Everything provided, and even then, everything. I mean, think of the wonder of it. To literally see those that are coming to destroy you put to an end. In the very place that God preserved for you to be saved through. They went through that wa- those waters. And yet, in moments, turning away, worshiping. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you out of his and had committed great blasphemies, you and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. See, this is that faithfulness of God. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink and they drank from that spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. For who are those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. We were talking in the letters of John, how Jesus bids us to love him and the the way that we love him is by keeping his commandment. And the way that we keep his commandment is by believing in him, trusting in him. And here what we're seeing is that, that disobedience was the fruit of unbelief. Therefore, the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 4, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit because they were not united by faith with those who listened. 
I mean, we're going to partake of the bread and drink of the cup. If we're merely united by acts of doing, things that we do, motions that we do, that's not enough. We have to be united by faith. You know, the brothers and I in our Bible study, we were praying together. And one of the things that we're already seeing is the, the lack of intimacy. Right? We're seeing that ever in our modern culture. But with this separation, this isolation, we feel it. But what we need to understand is that what binds us together is not simply the movement of everyday living. What binds us together is this one faith in Christ Jesus. And this faith isn't something new. It's ancient. It's old. It's true. It's not dependent on me. It's not dependent on you. It's fully dependent on God who is faithful. He is faithful. He fulfills what he does. Completely. Nevertheless, with most of them, they was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. And just to see, there is a uh, fearful text in Jude. This is how we should interpret Scripture. In Jude, chapter 1, verse 5, he says, Look, I want to remind you. Look at the language of the... Paul, I don't want you to, you know, be unaware of this. Uh, Verse 6 in chapter 10 says, These things took place as examples for us. That's the language that we hear constantly in the Bible. And Jude says, Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it. So there you go. Did they know this? Yes. They needed to be reminded? Yes. Do we know a lot? Yes. Do we need to be constantly reminded? Yes. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, so the Lord, they understood this to be the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, he's saying, that when they're looking back at what they remember, they're seeing all these great works of the Lord. They're seeing the person of Christ, Jesus, doing this work. And Jude says, Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. We're comfortable with a Jesus that you can snuggle up to. But the Bible shows the Jesus that is the true judge and Lord of all. And here, Jude says, he destroyed those who did not believe. Paul says, now these things, verse 6 in chapter 10, took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. It's a warning for the church. Don't ever think that we're not able to desire evil as they did. Don't ever think that we're not able to depart from the truth as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. 
and 23,000 fell in a single day. You know, when you think of sensuality, the, the fulfillment, the satisfaction of your desire. Right? We, we talked about in our devotion today this constant stream of thoughts. And we are living in an era that there's a, you're able to constantly stream music, stream whatever you want, news. Whatever you want, you can just constantly stream. But when we look back at the time that we spent in the Gospel of John, we saw Jesus being this kind of man that would, in the, whenever the streaming got too much, and this is the Lord, right? Whenever the crowds got too large, because we can barely control our thoughts when we're alone. Amen? So imagine when you're in the midst of a crowd. The thoughts just get bombarded. Now, the Lord was tempted, just like all of us. Yeah, but I think it's wonderful. Whenever we see this, this building up of a crowd, Jesus, what are we given to see in the Gospels? That he walked away from it. He went to pray. I mean, we can barely silence anything today. If we're able to silence the phone that's in our hand, your neighbor has one. Your friend has one. And then you're like, oh, what you're looking at? Oh, I'm looking at this. I'm figuring, I mean, it's just a constant stream. I'm not saying that there isn't a place for that. But I'm saying as Christians, the stream that's ever supposed to be flowing through us is this remembrance of who our God is then and who He is now and who is sure to be in the future. And these things are ever competing in us. Ever drawing us away. And Paul's telling us, I don't want you to be unaware of this. I, don't, I want you to understand that these things took place as examples for us. Don't the people sat down to eat, to drink, and they rose up to play. You know, if you say this just purely in our culture, I say, some people say, well, you deserve that. It's a long day of work. You deserve that. You deserve a time like that. But no, this is idolatry. And Paul is warning us, we must not. Look what he says. Verse 9, we must not put Christ to the test. He's reading that into the Old Testament. As they put the Lord to the test, if we live, we Christians today, live in a way where this is something that we just put on. This isn't an everyday occurrence. And every, we're putting Christ to the test. The one who destroyed those that did not believe. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did and were destroyed by servant, nor grumble, as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. You get these little, it's like gems. On whom the end of the ages has come. The end of the ages is here. It has come. I don't need the news to make me feel, ooh, is it, you know, is it now? The, the, is, is it now that's going to happen? Because, you know, nobody knows who the president is or the stock market is doing this. No, I know the end of the ages has come because the Bible tells me. Jesus is risen. He has ascended to heaven. And the angel said to the, the, the apostle, this same Jesus is coming. The last days are here. 
We need to rejoice that this is the fulfillment of the will of our Heavenly Father. We need to rejoice that all things are held together in His hands. In the moments of certainty when all our plans are going well, right? Because we plan, God willing, amen? But then things can occur very suddenly that we have no idea if we'll make it the next 24 hours or a few moments. Very suddenly, things can occur that the plans that we have made, the budgets that we have done, right? Just don't stand. But our Lord stands, and He is faithful. But we should not grumble, as some of them did to destroy by the destroyer. Now these things happen to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, so this is where that famous text is in. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. God is faithful. When we come before the table of the Lord, we are partaking of His holiness. We are partaking of His justice. We are partaking of His grace. All of it. There should be a sense of dread, but a sense of joy. Sense of relief and rest. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, God is faithful. In the midst of the temptations, God is faithful. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape. That you may be able to endure it. It's interesting. I mean, we're not, we don't have time. We're going to have communion. But I want you to maybe this Sunday discipline your thoughts, right? Make your thought, take your thoughts captive and spend some time and think, well, hold on. He just said he'll provide the way of escape so that I can endure it. Usually think of escape as, oh, I'm out of this. I don't have to deal with it. But the way of escape is a means of enduring it. Think of the apostles. Think of the church when they consider it pure joy, when trials and tribulations, when they went out singing and boasting that they were counted worthy to suffer as their Lord suffered, they were provided the escape to endure that suffering. I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but I used to always think that verse was a way out. It seems like the best way to glorify our Lord. That's the provision. He is faithful to provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. I love verse 15. 
speak to sensible people. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. See, the movement of the church, the Spirit of Christ, never imposes upon the will, never destroys and assimilates man into whom God wants you to be. God never takes man by force. And here you see it. He's appealing to them as sensible people. Listen to what I'm saying. The cup of blessing that we bless. Is it not a participation in the body of Christ, in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. Because there's one Jesus, one Father, one baptism, one Spirit. That's what binds us together. We have to be careful. That we don't begin to think that it's our experiences, our background, our neighborhood. Because there was a time, and there is some truth to that, right? Where identity in the world was shaped and formed by the school you went to or your family, right? There was a time like the family name actually meant something, right? Um, the work, the career. I mean, I, the men and I were talking about this. It was interesting. I just learned a great lesson. Now, I knew that Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth was not his name, last name. I knew that was where he came from. But Thomas Aquinas, I thought that was his last name. It is not. That's the village that he came from. It's like Thomas de Aquino. See in the ancient world how people were defined? They were, their identity, their definition was based from where they came from, who they were part of. It's a very modern thing that your identity belongs to you. My mother doesn't have a say in it. My father doesn't. No, I marry who I want to marry. All, all these things that we think today is very, right, heroic and saying, oh, I'm going to be what I want to be. It's my glory. That's a very new thing. But see, when we are born again, what defines us, what binds us, is not even any longer the neighborhood or this or that. It is the blood of Christ. It is his body broken for us so that we may be made one body. It is our common faith, like the writer of Hebrews says, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. We are to be united by faith. We're to be drawn together by faith. In Christ Jesus. Beloved, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one body, we who are many are. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. And this intimacy, this fellowship is so deep. And listen to what Paul goes on to say. I do not want you to be participants of demons. So the idolatry of the world, the gluttony of the world is demonic. And Paul is saying, I don't want you to participate with demons. 
You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. To be a participant of Christ, there's a definite separation, right? God called Abram out of the land of Ur. He called him out. Every time you, you'll see that, start reading the scripture, you'll see it. every time God calls us, he's calling them out. He's removing them out. Christ called the disciples from the crowns out of the crowns. Follow me. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord, the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? As we take this time, brothers and sisters, to just have our minds devoted, we're going to be confessing our creed, our confession. And then we're going to be reading 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to be participating in the bread and drinking of the cup. But don't take it for granted. It's very easy with the very needful movements of the day to forget who we are. To forget to whom we belong to. To forget where we belong. Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your jealousy, your zeal. I thank you, Lord, that you are a jealous God. That because you have set your eyes upon me, because you have you set your eyes upon your church, we're not given to flirt with any other. We're given to your son. We are espoused to him. Both in life and in death, we belong to you. Our thoughts, our minds, the inclination of our hearts. Teach us, O Lord, how to do all things for your glory. But there is none like you among the gods, O Lord. Nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord. I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Unite our hearts in faith to fear you and you alone. Not to fear the movements, the ups and downs of our present age. But to trust that you are faithful. You are faithful, Lord. In every victory of our lives, in every defeat, you are faithful. In every joy and in every sorrow, you are faithful, Lord. Hold us. Bind us, we ask you, in Jesus Christ. Amen. When I ask the church.